everyone, and welcome to the Creative Queso Podcast with me, your host, Jennifer Perkins. Every week, I'm here, I'm chatting, I'm hanging out with a different guest, and we're talking about the business of being creative and the creativity behind running a business. Today, I am talking with one of my very favorite crafty powerhouses, Amy Tan, or as you may know her, Amy Tangerine. Full disclosure, before I met Amy and realized that she is just as awesome in real life as she is online, I'm not going to lie to you. I was a little bit intimidated. Maybe fangirling is a better term. Listen back to episode number 12 with Nicole Stevenson of Dear Handmade Life in Craftcation. When Nicole put me on a panel about creativity with Amy Tan, I'll admit I had a hot second of imposter syndrome. And you know, that doesn't usually happen to me, so that is kind of saying something. Amy has over 180,000 Instagram followers. She has authored a best-selling book called Craft a Life You Love. She has over 50,000 people subscribed to her YouTube channel that watch her craft, travel, and teach all over the world. All of this, and she has a successful paper crafts product line with American Crafts. You guys, I usually joke and say that I'm kind of a secret scrapbooker because, you know, sometimes scrapbooking gets a bad rap. But Amy has brought me out and I'm ready to shout that I love gluing pictures to paper and covering them with adorable stickers and washi tape, especially when they're Amy Tangerine brand. And I no longer care who knows it. Yeah, okay, so back to that panel at Craftcation that Amy and I were both on. We were both speaking about creativity. I realized within minutes that Amy is my favorite combination of crazy amounts of talent, unlimited creativity, serious, savvy business skills, and she is so open about sharing it all, and that's what makes me love her and you will love her the most. I am so lucky to have Amy Tangerine on the podcast today so she can share all of this with you. Listen in as we talk about keeping all the balls in the air when you're a multi-potentialite. I like that fancy word for crafty ADD. Her career journey of going from t-shirt designer to professional scrapbooker. Her new podcast, Craft a Life You Love. Plus, all kinds of fun facts and trivia. Like, did you know both Amy and Brene Brown both self-published their first books before publishers came calling? I know, riveting. Find out all of this and more in today's episode of Creative Queso. All right. Hello, Amy Tan, or Amy Tangerine, as you are known. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Jennifer, for having me. I am... I am pumped. I was just, I am like still hot and sweaty because I just got back from walking the dogs, listening to the latest episode of the Craft a Life You Love podcast with your episode with Kathy Heller. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. (laughs) Of course. Yeah, it was was really good. You know, what's so funny is I listened to your intro episode, I guess last week, and I heard that song and I was like, I need to ask her if that's a Kathy Heller song. It is indeed. Let your colors shine. It's a good one. So have you like always wanted to do a podcast? Well, let's just jump right into you and podcasting or like, was it always on your back burner? Or? You know what? It had been thought about years ago because I loved listening to certain podcasts and I was asked to be on different podcasts. But honestly, I don't like my own voice. So I decided to focus more on YouTube because that way through a video, I could share more of creativity and have it be a focal point as opposed to just talking through a podcast. Um, But as I have gone through this journey of being a creative I found that a lot of people do like to hear and listen to podcasts more so than they have time invested for YouTube videos. So it Mm -hmm. made sense for me to launch it. And it took a while, but I finally did it. You know how creative projects go, right? Oh, yeah. You have to stew about them. You have to overthink them first. And then you finally get up the courage and just say, I'm just going to make this happen. Yeah, no. And it was, I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed the whole episode. Like... 
I mean, I got like 7,000 steps in on that bad boy. It was good. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. It was a long one. I wasn't sure how long I was going to make it, but you know, Kathy is very verbose in a great way. She has a lot of amazing things to say, and I think that there will be hopefully a lot of takeaways from it. Mm -hmm. Oh, there definitely were. Good. Yeah, no, I was like, it was one of those kinds of things where I was like wishing I wasn't walking so that I could take notes. So are you going to have a guest every time or do you envision also doing some on your own? Just I asked because you're so naturally talented. You know, you and I have like been on panels together. We've had dinner together and you're so great at like sharing advice and, you know, coaching in your own right. Thank you. Yeah, so I'm not really sure. The reason I start anything is because I have this urge to get it out into the world. And I think that if one person can benefit from it, then it's a good thing. Uh, So to be honest with you, I think that there's going to be a mix. But I think for the most part, there will be more guests. And then every once in a while, I'll pop in for a solo episode. If mm-hmm. I feel like there's something tugging at my heart that needs to be said, I'll be able to just hit record, which is a lot easier to do on a podcast format than on a video format. So I think that it'll be a mix. Yeah, once you get once you get into it and you're like, ooh, I don't have to put on makeup or or do anything fancy, like I can just talk, then you'll then you'll start doing those solo episodes, I bet. <laughs> totally. Yes. <laughs> so now um are you gonna try to do it as a weekly format or yes, so it'll be once a week and I think that we're trying to have them launch Tuesday mornings. Mm-hmm. And my editor is taking care of all that stuff. I believe in hiring people who know what they're doing so that you don't have to. I know that you share the same belief. Mm-hmm. And I didn't always feel that way because I'm very DIY, do it yourself, learn everything, and go at it the hard way. But I'm welcoming this new form of life. It's called doing it with ease. And right. I don't know if it's a formula that sticks well with entrepreneurs because we have our own struggles and we have our own mindset as far as how hard we need to work for things. But at the same time, we've done so much stuff. You know, it's like all the things that we've accomplished so far, that's what set set us up for this moment right here. So whether we take on this smaller gig or this thing that we think is too big, we, we need help, and I'm so grateful to have finally assembled this amazing team of people who can just do what they do and excel at it. Yeah, no, teams, virtual assistants, in-person assistants, podcast editors, bless them all. Yes. <laughs> yes. I know what I am good at, and editing audio would not be one of those things for myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's part that's part of the challenge is knowing what to what to farm out. Well, I'm excited to hear future episodes. I have subscribed, so thank you. I'm super excited. So, you know, I don't know if I told you this at dinner, but fun fact, if you go back and you listen to the episode where I interviewed Nicole from Craftcation, we did it, you know, before this past Craftcation and I was telling her it was like I'm kind of nervous that I'm on a panel with Amy Tangerine. I was like, you know, are you sure? Like I'm at that level to be on a panel with her because I was having this, I told her I kept having you like pop up. Like, you know, I got my pip sticks, sticker subscription. There you were like blueprint wanted me to come out to their South by Southwest party where you did the interactive mural. Then I had listened to your episode of don't keep your day job. So, and then we were on the panel together and I was like, maybe it's a sign we're supposed to meet. You're so cute. (laughs) I was like, man, this girl, can, you know, and then as you know, I like am a Amy Tangerine scrapbook product hoarder. I hoard a lot of scrapbook stuff, but yours is one of my favorites. I love it. But you're also using it. So I think there's a difference between just collecting it and putting it to good work. And I think that you need to have a balance of both so that you can keep the ones that you really, really want, but then also feel free to actually use your supplies. Because as you know, your memories are so much more fun alongside your favorite supplies. I mean, you rocked it in that Traveler's Notebook workshop. It, was that what it was? Yeah, uh, okay. that was the one I was in. Yeah, so it was well, amazing. And yeah. I loved being on the panel with you. So thank oh, you for good. saying all those kind things. I think oh. that we are definitely, 
when we are doing our best work and really in alignment with what we're supposed to be doing and our purpose, I think that we are sort of put into this place where magical things happen. And I don't know if it's magical that you had my day books from back in the day when they came out, I think in 2012. I mean, it was a long time ago. And I love that you just brought them all out. You're like, look, I, I have all these. And I was like, wait a second. And you guys should watch actually that YouTube video because there's two of them, Craftcation part one and part two. And there's just so much great energy there. I think Nicole has done such an amazing job of putting together this conference where people can feel like they totally belong. They have these hobbies and other people share these passions too. And we can all just get together and be our creative weirdo selves. Yeah, no, I love craftcation. Like it's like my new favorite craftcation, I guess. It's the perfect way to explain it. A vacation where I go and I craft and I meet new people. It's my jam. Yes, it's the best. And I think that it's one of those places where everybody can feel like they belong. You can nurture your creative side. You could also learn about business stuff. So yeah, I, I haven't listened to that episode, but I did listen to your Ann Shen episode and you brought oh, me up and it was so funny because I was just listening and working and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I hear my name. You're oh, so that's cute. so funny. I know. You know, I was thinking about that. Like I always just like reference the other, in all the episodes I do, I always reference like conversations I've had with like other people. Yeah, the Ann Shen one was a fun one. We went, we went deep woo woo, which I like. I do too. <laughs> I know. You, oh, I know you do. So I knew you would appreciate. I almost was going to send you that link and be like, "Listen to the Ann Chin one. You're going to really like it." <laughs> so besides, you know, obviously you teach at Craftcation. You have the podcast. You know, we're kind of touching on all the things. But like, let's say somebody's listening to this episode and is like, "Who is this Amy Tan?" So what would you, you know, how would you kind of describe yourself and your brand? It's a good question. So on my actual media kit that I send out to brands, it says, Amy's mission is to empower and inspire women everywhere to find joy and confidence through creativity. And I know that encompasses like this whole wide range of things, but I am a professional scrapbooker. I have had this lifestyle brand, Amy Tangerine, since 2001. I basically started with hand crocheting arm warmers. I was a fashion stylist and I made these arm warmers to wear on photo shoots. Stores liked them, so they started ordering them. I got pressed in Women's Wear Daily, Lucky Magazine. In the spring, they were like, well, what are you going to make now? And I said, I don't know, t-shirts or tank tops. So I started hand embroidering these tank tops. Ended up selling them to about 10 stores uh, across the country. And Fred Siegel was one of them. And I flew out to LA. I was living in Atlanta at the time. Flew out to LA a week and a half after they were delivered to the store and we sent them 20 tank tops and they had three left. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is a good thing. Don't you don't don't you want to order some more? And the buyer, John Ashaya, was like, yeah, uh, what are you going to make next? So basically, I had to come up with more things to make and I ended up, fast forward a couple months, I was thinking about doing a full collection and maybe doing a trade show in New York. And a store that carried my stuff called me and said, oh my goodness, have you seen Glamour Magazine? Cindy Crawford is wearing your tank top on page blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what? Oh. This is crazy. So it gave me the validation to say, maybe this isn't such a, like, a hobby anymore. It's more of something that I can take a chance and make it into a business. So I went to a trade show, did the whole t-shirt thing, uh, had some ups and downs. A lot, a big down actually was the fact that I basically had a successful trade show, meaning I got a lot of orders. We wrote $50,000 worth of orders at the trade show. But unfortunately, because of the way things were structured and because I was basically a one-person show trying to figure out how to get all these other hand sewers to help me, asking my cleaning lady if she had friends. <laughs> I was just being so scrappy and doing everything. And this is, you know, keep in mind, this is 2002. So there were hardly any stores online, okay? There was one store that was online called, oh my gosh, gosh, I can't remember. Oh, it was called Girl Shop. Mm -hmm. And 
Do you remember Girl Shop by any chance? Did they did they sell jewelry like mostly jewelry? No, Girl Shop was clothing, uh, and I think they had jewelry, but I think they started off with clothing, and then they. I had, think I'm thinking of Girl Props. Oh, okay. out of New York. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Anyway, so they were the one one of the first ones, and they took consignment only, and it was just so crazy, and I couldn't fulfill their order, and. I basically shipped out $25,000 worth of stuff in January, but then only like 10,000 of the, you know, 25 that was in for February. And it was one of those things that was a huge wake up call for me that number one, I couldn't do everything that I wanted to do. And I wasn't in a place where I had set the foundation for it to be successful. And I had all these mentors telling me, you're doing the right thing. This is what you need to do now. And and I could do all those things, but for some reason, I just didn't have a good gauge on the fact that the upper limit was huge, was enormous. The potential was grander than I even imagined. And at that point in my life, I was too young to really embrace it in such a way that I recognized, oh yeah, you do have a good thing going. It's okay to take a pause and establish some structure. So I did what any 24-year-old would do at that time or 23-year-old. I can't even remember now. And <laughs> I uh, decided to have a nervous breakdown. I, didn't, I don't think I chose it, but I had a nervous breakdown because I thought I had let all these people down, let all these accounts down. They had their open to buys depending upon me. And I basically went into crisis mode and decided there was an opportunity to put my company under a different umbrella. And I chose to do that because then I could just focus on what I thought I loved to do, which was design. And I went with them, started a new collection for them, and also spent a lot of time doing styling. And I was flying back and forth from Atlanta to LA. And on a flight back to LA one time, the president of the company said, hey, would you ever consider moving out to LA to pitch to designers like yourself and sell our blank t-shirts to smaller designers who are up and coming and get our brand out there? And I said, sure. (laughs) And I took a chance, took this big leap of faith, ended up renting my condo in Atlanta to a friend, moved out here. And a week later, they let me go. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it was kind of tragic and I didn't know what to do, but I called my dad, of course, in tears, staying at the Viceroy Hotel, not knowing what to do. And he said, you're lost in the right place. And those words solidified the fact that I needed to be here. I would have never actually taken the chance to move out here on my own. And it was, it was a sign that I needed to figure things out on my own here. And I took a month off of work and established myself. I didn't have a place to live. It was the same day that I bought a car, a VW Beetle convertible, because I always wanted a convertible. (laughs) And it was just a life-changing experience. But at the same time, I think that it totally brought me to where I needed to be. And ever since then, I have just figured it out iterations along the way. I started my uh, t-shirt line back up after meeting the embroiderers for Hudson Jeans. I designed a line of t-shirts for Hudson and then also just decided to start my own thing back up and ended up selling to 250 stores around the world. And then the economy sort of was changing in 2007 and my interests were shifting a little bit too because I was working from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed. We we shipped out 30,000 hand-stitched t-shirts in one year out of my three-story loft in Santa Monica. (laughs) And I had a small team of, you know, maybe three full-time people. That's it. And we had, of course, freelancers and a bunch of talented people working with us. But it was just too much for me to have this check that bounced or things that were going wrong. Stores weren't showing up to trade shows anymore. We were investing all this time, energy, and money into things that didn't seem like they were coming to fruition. And finally, I decided to do something for myself. And I stepped into a scrapbooking store and just fell in love with the people, with the hobby, with everything about it. And the community of creatives that were in scrapbooking just kind of lit my heart on fire and 
just made me shift everything over to focus on this idea that we can live these amazing creative lives and document them along the way and share inspiration and, you know, have this beautiful life that's recorded is just something that I am so honored to be a part of. And now with the (laughs) podcast and the YouTube channel and my book, Craft a Life You Love, I self-published that book in 2017, it was released. And then it ended up getting picked up by a publisher after it hit number one in two categories, which I didn't even know could happen. And so I'm just trying to go deeper with this idea of crafting a life you love and sharing that message to the world. No, and you are. I mean, like I said, just the brief times that we've hung out in person, it's totally like you're calling. Like it, it all ties together. You know, somebody was saying to me at a conference recently, like, you know, well, you do this and you do this and you do this. And like, you know, how does it all tie together? And it's like, you're the thing that ties it together. You know, your, your energy and your stamp is what ties, you know, the books, the podcast, the scrapbook supplies, you know, all of the things (laughs) together. Yes. Yeah. I love that because I think that's another thing that Craftcation has taught me is that people always feel like they have to stick with one thing, you know, and I think there's a messaging across self-help books, even, podcasts or these productivity type of things that you just have to focus on one thing and Mm -hmm. make that your one thing. Well, what if you don't know what your one thing is? I mean, if I had to actually pinpoint what my one thing was, I could say creativity, but it's not like I get to spend 95% of my time being creative all the time. You know, so I think that there isn't really a commonality with either choosing one thing or choosing 10 things, I think it just proves that we each have gifts inside of us and we need to share them. Whether it is definitely 70% in one thing and 30% in a bunch of other things, there's just so many ways that we can share the gifts that we have inside of us. And I want to encourage people to recognize that as individuals, we have something to give to the world. Yeah, and it's okay if it's, if it's a lot of different mini gifts. Totally. You know, like you said, yeah, I just, that that topic keeps like resonating with me lately. The topic of like, some people feel like they have this like one calling, you know what I mean? And you can't deviate from it because you hear that like you need to hone your craft or, you know, but don't be a, a jack of all trades, but a master of none. And then, you know, I was listening to this um episode of Oprah's podcast. So of course it was profound, but, and it had Elizabeth Gilbert, but she was saying someone once wrote her a letter and said, or left her a comment and was like, you know, you talk about how like, you've always known how you wanted to write and it was your thing. And you spent every free moment writing and blah, 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 blah. Well, I'm kind of all over the place. And that makes me feel like a failure that you have this like one thing that you're super into. And so she was kind of referring to people like us as, um, hummingbird people. I've always just said I had crafty ADD, but <laughs> you know. But Elizabeth Gilbert was saying like it's fine if you want to, you know, scrapbook one day and do a podcast the next day, and then do a vlog, and you know, and then you made T-shirts. I mean, my career trajectory is the exact same way, and you know, as I'm sure the same with you. I wouldn't change a thing. It's got me where I am now. Totally. Yeah, I've heard the term multi potentialite. Yeah, I like around that one too. too. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. a TED talk. Yeah. And I listened to that Elizabeth Gilbert episode too. Gosh, Super Soul Sunday sessions or whatever they're called, (laughs) Super Soul Sessions, because I did not listen to that podcast until probably maybe two months ago. It's been recent since I dove in and man, I went deep. Mm -hmm. I just got lost in that rabbit hole. And I was like, why did it take me so long to listen to these? And I'm not really sure because I think that I was spending a lot of time listening to smaller podcasts Mm -hmm. and it just never occurred to me to listen to Oprah's. Yeah, no, I is the exact same way. Like, <laughs> you know, but it's like clearly Oprah is Oprah for a reason. Like, it's a darn good podcast. But yes, I, I that resonates with me that like to convey that message to people that, you know, you can do these things, or you could have had this one great career, like your T-shirt that's now kind of led into your, you know, the industry that you're into now with the scrapbooking. Do you think? I mean, were you raised with this? And we touched on it a little bit at the panel at Craftcation, but do you think that you were raised with this like entrepreneurial spirit that, you know, you went from like 
t-shirts and then to, you know, your product lines and then books and now videos and podcasts and sponsored content. Like, was that something always kind of drilled into you? Yes, because my parents immigrated to the States in 1970 and they came here for the American dream. And I think that they instilled this value of you can do anything you put your mind to and your heart into. And I think that sometimes I look at it as a bad thing because I have this spirit in me that I really see something that I want and I go after it, or I just create something that I want to do that hasn't been done before or seemingly done before in the way that I would do it, right? Mm -hmm. And that spirit is nurtured through this idea that I can achieve things, but it's also dependent on how I want to feel. I no longer felt passionate about the fashion industry. You know, I no longer felt like that's where my gifts were. And there were certain times where I felt compelled to stay in that because it was comfortable. And I was selling to spas and yoga studios, and there were still stores that were wanting my t-shirts. But at the same time, I shifted my 80% of my business was coming from 20% of my accounts. So I decided to just shift the focus onto that 20%. And if it happened to be custom t-shirts or anything that I could do for them to serve them, that's what I was going to focus on. And then the rest of my time could just really be focused on me. I tried to take a sabbatical and that's something that my parents definitely did not instill in me because they always said to work hard and be a good person. But I didn't really understand the fact that working hard doesn't mean you have to sacrifice your health, your own happiness, your own well-being. Because nobody told me. Nobody told Mm -hmm. me that you didn't have to do the blood, sweat, and tears, right? I just was doing it. And at the time, more seemed better. More this, more more accounts, more vendors, more everything, more orders. But really, nobody told you, or nobody told me at least, that it was okay to take a pause and to really deep dive into what your why is and how you're motivated intrinsically as opposed to all this outer achievement that was happening. And I think that I always had it in the back of my head, but I just would push it down every time it came up because I heard that little voice saying, oh, well, you can't give that up because so many people are dependent on your decisions. And that was something that I just could not bear at a certain point. But I think that's also the beauty of being an entrepreneur is that you figure it out if it's something that you want to do and you have a strong why and you have a strong purpose, you you do end up figuring it out. Whether it looks completely different than what you did before, I think that that's something that just happens naturally. Or mm-hmm. it's something that we just force ourselves into because we like the torture. Right, exactly. Probably some of both. I find that like once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur, you know what I mean? Like once you've like live that life of like setting your own schedule. Like you could just never go back to pantyhose. So whether, whether something falls through on one endeavor and you have to do something else or like you did with t-shirts or I did with jewelry where it was like, dude, I just want to do something different. You know, like we'll, we'll figure out a way to make it work. Yeah. I mean, my parents also, my dad loved his job. He was an engineer and he worked at the same company for many, many years and he did the same thing his whole life. He knew his one thing. My mom, on the other hand, didn't really have a passion for her work, even though she was good at it. She was in the insurance business for 20 years and then she dabbled in real estate and she did all these things. But I think the through line for my parents was that their dream was to have their own business and they couldn't see a way of doing that while raising me. So I think in a way they instilled this when I was younger because I was selling those friendship bracelets at a young age. I did some Olympia thing or Olympic thing. I don't even remember those catalogs. I don't know if you remember them. They had post-it notepads and all these things. It was sort of the beginnings of, I guess, like a scholastic book club, but not really. It was, (laughs) I don't know what it was now that I am saying it. It was like either Olympic or Olympia. 
And basically, my mom would take the catalog to work and have her friends order from me. And I think I would earn a dollar per item sold. And to me, that was amazing. I would get 50 bucks and I'd be so happy. So I think that there was this idea that, oh, yeah, you can make something after I made the friendship bracelets and the tie-dye T-shirts that you could sell it. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, I don't know. I think I just got some kind of kick out of doing that because people seemed lit up when I said that I made something and they were able to buy it and support me at a young age. I know, but everybody loves a kidpreneur. It's hard not to. So, kidpreneur, I've never heard that. <laughs> so, are you, you know, you and I both have small children. Are you, you know, I'm always like encouraging my kids to like, yeah, you should do this and have a side hustle and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, like we were saying, like I kind of grew up in that same environment where my, my dad, like from the get, like he was a psychologist, always loved psychology, always loved psych- being a psychologist and teaching it. And, you know, but he still was kind of pushing that side hustle all the time. But, you know, on top of that running a business feeling, he always was kind of like, I, it took me being an adult to realize that I felt guilty ever reading anything that wasn't, I don't know, like not self-help, but, you know, that was nonfiction, something that was like educating me, like something that was like just random, like fiction, like I would feel guilty or watching like crappy TV if it wasn't like Nova or, you know, some sort of like educational special, like I felt guilty. And I think that was because, you know, my dad always made me feel like you need to always be like learning and doing more and doing better. So like with small kids, how do you teach them to be entrepreneurs but all entrepreneurs but also are you teaching jack like self care like how do you teach a kid self care like don't overdo it like you don't need to be doing homework all the time like right yeah it's such a funny thing because i don't think that i am actually teaching by doing things too intentionally i think that he is just such a good i mean their kids are such good observers right mm-hmm. they see things through such a clear lens that I wish sometimes that I could go back to that clarity and sense of naivety or whatever it's called, right? And he, I think, can sense when I need to just go to my studio and put my foot down and say, I need to work. But he used to come in here when he was, I don't know, 17 or 18 months old, and he said, I want to work too. Mine want to work too. And so he really loved the fact that I get to do all this creative stuff for work. And I think that the self-care thing is a really interesting piece. I love the fact that his school now, they meditate every day in school. Oh, that's nice. And his preschool did it too. And so, I don't know, since he was like three years old or three and a half, he would ask to listen to meditations. So they listen to these guided meditations. I think it's called Corey's Conscious Living on YouTube. And it's really silly because they associate, you know, cupcakes and they she tells these stories and she's from Australia. So she's got this beautiful accent. And if I had those kinds of tools when I was younger and it was so available and such a thing that people just did and it wasn't too woo-woo or anything... I can't even imagine where I would be right now. I wouldn't have to be doing all this inner work right now that I'm doing, trying to excavate what has caused me to behave in these ways or try to fix my train of thinking and things that I feel like I've been just doing my whole life that are just automatic in their habits. What's to him I love the presence of kids too. What's to him so available right now is his sense of, hey, I'm going to try something. I'm going to do something. I'm going to make an art project. And he's totally wanting to sell things already. He wants to make books. <laughs> he wants to, he's like, can, can you sell this next time you go to your event? Because I you know, speak at events, I teach workshops, and we usually have a vendor table. And he's actually made these little things that he wants us to sell. And it's just so funny to me. I mean, it's heartbreaking because I also have to make sure that he knows not everything is sellable, number one. <laughs> and number two is that, you know, I just want him to enjoy being a kid. Really, that's that's what I want him to enjoy. I don't want him thinking about how 
he can make money right now. Is that weird? Like I, I just want no, him no. to have the enjoyment of it and realize that, yeah, there's a business as- aspect to it, but he can get there when he's older. And I, I want to also nurture that if he is really totally interested in it. But at the same time, I want to be careful because I don't want him to think that you you have to make what you love profitable. Exactly. Because sometimes it takes it away, right? Sometimes it takes the joy away from it. And even some adults need to hear that. Oh, oh gosh, I need to remind myself every day. Yeah, it's like every time I, I glue something to something doesn't mean it needs to be a blog post on Instagram, <laughs> a product line. It's like sometimes you can just do creative things for you. It doesn't have to be for anybody else. It's so true. And sometimes when I get that inkling of, oh, I should really Instagram story this or I should record this, I have to actually say it out loud. And my husband's actually a good voice of reason. He's like, you actually don't have to. If you want to, great. But if you're sighing after you do it, you know, if you're like, oh, I should really do this. Ah, I should really hit record. Ah, he's like, that's telling you something. You should right. just enjoy doing it for the purpose of just doing it. I was like, oh, what a novel concept. Right? Like, what do you mean not put it on the internet? Like, who would have thought that? So, you know, speaking of between like, you know, keeping kids straight and husband straight and Instagram stories and this and that, I was curious, like, how do you how do you keep it all straight? Are you like a planner, a Google Calendar, assistance, all of the above? Like obviously we know you scrapbook, but do you like literally like put it in a paper planner with like cute stickers or Yeah, so I do <laughs> a little bit of everything. Uh, I'm a very big stickler about my schedule and I don't know what that comes from, but productivity has always been one of those things that have been very high on my list. And I'm working on it because I believe that I am a recovering workaholic. So as far as apps and things that I use, I live and die by Google Calendar. I definitely will always use Google Calendar because I always have my phone with me if I'm meeting somebody, right? So if I'm somewhere and somebody's like, oh, what are you doing on X X date? And I can look at my Google Calendar and say, this is what I think I'm doing or I don't have any plans or whatnot. And then I can go ahead and schedule it in. For my paper planner, which right now I'm using an Archer and Olive, and I'm trying to stick to one planner. I know there's a lot of people out there who use multiple planners. I try to put everything in one place. But what I realize is I put everything into my Google Calendar for the most part as far as future scheduling. And my paper planner is more of a back planning, memory keeping device or present planning. So when I say that, I mean, I look at, let's say the week on a Sunday evening, and I try to put in the things that are non-negotiable throughout the week. And then I leave room for space to fill in the things that I desire to do or things that come up. Because I, I believe if you don't leave room in your calendar that you're actually missing out on a lot of things. And I have been there where I've overscheduled. Perhaps you have felt the same way where you have just tiny little increments of pockets of time where you can actually sit and get creative and that's not enough. So I've had to actually schedule those pockets or leave empty space. And I love that empty space because it gives you the opportunity to choose whether you're going to do something for yourself or do something for work or do something, you know, maybe you'll just organize. I have this studio where there's always something that needs to get done in the studio. So sometimes when I put on my calendar, I might say, oh, I'm going to bump that to the next day, bump it to the next day. But if I have this open space, I'm like, wait a second, I get to choose whatever I want to do. So, oh yeah, I'm going to tidy up this table and then maybe I'll work on a project. And I think those ideas only come when you have the space created for yourself. Does so that you, answer your question? Yeah, no, perfectly. Like, cause I just, like, I struggle with that. I mean, as so many of us do, you know, and in your book, you talk about time and you kind of, you know, you kind of hit on the idea that we all have time for what really matters to us and, you know, and blah, 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 blah. But then 
I'm, I was just curious, like if you batch process or do you literally have on a calendar, like from eight to nine, I'm going to do this from nine to 10, I'm going to do this. And then from 10 to 12, I have a open spot. Like, do you schedule your day like eight to five? I try not to, uh, but it, it's like a mix, right? And I don't have a batch process that really works. I'm trying to get better at it. I know that I am best at accomplishing the tasks that I do not want to do um, <laughs> in a way that I do it in the morning, first thing, because it makes me feel accomplished. It's another thing that I have realized is that if you make things a habit and you sort of have this reward system of, okay, well, I did this thing that I really didn't want to do, but now it's done then I can reward myself with an hour of free time or an hour mm-hmm. of, you know, going to get my nails done or s- self-care in such a way that really is not going to the spa. It's literally sitting outside in the sunshine and reading a magazine that I've had stacked up for three months. Um, mm-hmm. I think it, it could be whatever you want it to be, but I'm not a stickler for sticking to times unless there are appointments and meetings. Okay. Well, good to know. Yeah. I'm trying to get better about the, like, I, in the last podcast episode I did, people were asking me about time and I was referencing Pee Wee's Big Adventure where he doesn't want to like take the snakes out of the pet store. Like he keeps avoiding it. And I, I was using that in reference to like, you know, I'm like, Oh, I want to do the easy stuff. I want to take the hamsters out and the bunnies out. And then like, I always avoid like taking the snakes out. But what I need to do is like take the snakes out, like first thing in the morning, get it done, then reward myself with like an hour of fun time. Yeah, I think it depends on what works for you. And look, as an entrepreneur too, and a creative person with, wait, what would you say? A person with creative ADD? Mm-hmm, crafty ADD. That, yeah, sometimes we don't, we need structure, but we don't need it to be so, um, I guess, rigid, right? We need it to be a little bit more fluid. So in the morning, I have this morning routine that I stick to. And I think that, yes, creativity and chaos go hand in hand, but there's a structure built in so that I know exactly what I what needs to get done, but then there's also room for the things that I want to do. Mm-hmm. That's a good system. Yeah, just kind of keeping it, keeping it fluid or it's like, it's okay if not all of it gets done or you get something extra done. You know, one of the girls in this panel I was just on said that she keeps her to-do list like in black and, you know, she marks off what she does. But at the end of the day, you know, there's always things that you did that weren't on the to-do list, but that are relevant. And then she writes that in and like red, you know, like, but look what I did do. That was important. I was like, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I was like, plus you can use colored pens. Like, who doesn't totally. like who doesn't like that added bonus? Any, any excuse to use colored pens and markers and stickers to indicate stuff, I love the the thing I have to say about that I don't love about planning too much in my paper planner, where it's the only thing that I have besides my Google Calendar, is that I write in pen. So I don't like when things get canceled or changed. I have this really strong (laughs) thing that I've been working on for a long time. My husband actually laughs when plans change, when something changes. And I'm like, oh, and I have this, I have to take a deep breath and sort of welcome it because I embrace change, but it almost has to be on my terms. I have to be the, the one to decide what changes. And that's so silly because you have to be, as a human being, you have to be adaptable. But I have this thing where I don't like if I schedule something and I write it all pretty and then it doesn't happen that day. It mm-hmm. really bothers me in a paper planner, which is why <laughs> I, I do more present planning and day of planning and like week of as opposed to cementing it because, gosh, as you know, things change all the time. And we were supposed to record before and your internet went out. And that's mm-hmm. nothing that you can actually, you can't control. There's so many things out of our control. So... I know I'm sitting I'm here sure. thinking like, I ruined her pretty planner. She's so mad at me. <laughs> oh, no. You know what I did? Actually, so the funny thing is I did write it in that day, but I literally just put it next to it CXL, which is cancel. And then it's so fine because it. I didn't draw a line through it. I didn't try to cover it up. And guess what? It still looks pretty. I'm actually going to post a photo of it probably pretty soon. So by the time <laughs> this episode goes up, you, you will have seen where I wrote 10 a.m. Creative Queso slash 
CXL. <laughs> oh, sad face. See, I'm just like, I'm that person. I'm like, and there's nothing a piece of washi tape can't fix. If it fell through, like, cover it's it with so some washi true. tape. It's so true. And I have those moments, too, where I definitely believe that you can put a sticker on it. But um, I think I, I really enjoy the idea of back planning. It's more of a log of the things that I want to remember. Mm-hmm. And and if I hear an interesting quote or if Jack says something funny, then I can just write it in right then and there. Or if I want to use a particular supply, I think that that's my excuse for using up these stickers that, you know, you never thought you'd actually get to get a chance to use, like a little penguin holding a a, a glove, you know, with a bucket in one hand. I mean, it sounds so random, but it's like, okay, well, when the cleaning crew comes, I can use that sticker. Right. I think I know the exact <laughs> stickers you speak of. Did they come from Pip Sticks? I think I have those penguins. Of course. Of course they did. <laughs> I, I, I know that sticker and I too have used it. Um, well, you know, speaking of back planning, I was thinking, you know, whenever I want to do something like that, I always like wish I had like Oh, like those social print studio, like sticker, like picture stickers, or like one of those little Instatax machines that you used in your class. And then that got me to thinking, you know, a lot of us, myself included, we get these like, you know, one opportunities to work with a company, you know, they might come, come to us for this one time influencer campaign, but you seem to really have done this wonderful job of cultivating these long-lasting relationships with companies, whether it be Instatax or, you know, American Crafts with your product line. Do you have any, like, tips or tricks for other people that kind of, you know, work in that same arena about how to make, like, a one-time opportunity into a lasting relationship? Yes, I think that cultivating a sense of what you want to do and what the purpose for the campaign is and what your goals are. And if they're in alignment with the brand's goals, then that's a great opportunity to say, hey, I'd love to do this one campaign with you. I'm really looking for long, longer term brand deals. Uh, would you be open to something like that if this first one goes well? I mean, that's an easy way to open up that dialogue mm-hmm. with with a brand like American Crafts, for example, I have been so lucky and blessed to have worked with them since 2011 and in this capacity of designing a scrapbooking line and products under the Amy Tangerine brand in collaboration with American Crafts. But I've been with American Crafts as far as using their products and I was on their design team previously before that. So I think if you're looking for these companies that you love working with and you're looking to make a greater impact with them, Instax, for, for an example, is I've used Instax since probably 2006 or 2007. I actually got the first Instax camera that I bought was off of eBay from Japan. And at the time, they didn't even have a Fujifilm Instax division in the US. So you had to get the film and it was, you know, Japanese writing on it and it was only on eBay that I remember getting it. And I think that it might have even been 2005. I can't remember. Anyway, regardless, we have access to all these amazing products that we use in our daily lives. So the companies that you actually, let's say, want to work with, showcase them anyway. I mean, I use these awesome products and I don't necessarily want to work with every single brand that I use uh, because there's probably conflicts of interest there. But at the same time, I just want to make something and use the supplies that I love, right? So Pipsticks, for example, Mo and I have become friends and she's an amazing mom, entrepreneur, Wonder Woman, everything. She's got four kids. She has this amazing sticker store in San Luis Luis Obispo, if you ever visit there. And it was something that I think I was her first collaboration, actually. And it was awesome. And it was something that went well. And so we did one a year later. And it's something that you can explore because not everybody's going to say, hey, yes, we wanted to sign a one-year brand deal with you. I mean, Dunkin' Donuts was probably one of the first brands that I worked with that I did that with because it was something that I could do creatively that was fulfilling and they had 
a need for it at the time. And we worked together really well. I think structuring longer term brand deals, if that's your goal, then you have to approach it a number of different ways. But really, it's about creating the content that you want to create. And I think that that's probably the reason, I'd like to think that's the reason that I've had successful campaigns with these awesome brands that I like to work with is because I really make sure that it's true to my brand and who I am while bringing in a sense of their messaging and what they want to get across. Awesome. No, that's great advice. That's, I think that's that's exactly what I would tell people. That's stellar. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Um, okay, well, I won't take up your whole morning because, as we know, you are a busy girl, and I don't want you to have to x anything out. But I'm going to end with <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to end with a quick fire round, and they they don't have to be quick if you want to elaborate on them. But one thing that you were quick on that I want you to go I want you to go into a little deeper because you told me this story, but I thought it was absolutely riveting was about your your book, your last book, and how you did self-publish it. Because I know a lot of people talk about the self-publishing space, but you actually had such great success with it that a publisher came back and said, you know, I know you already self-published this, but now we want it. And then I mentioned to you that I heard Brené Brown say that her first book was self-published and she had a similar situation happen. So can you like touch on that real quick? Sure. So I felt the need to write this book and I had a couple friends who had done it on Amazon CreateSpace. And so they walked me through the process. And one of them even said, hey, you know, there's this editor who I use who's amazing. I think you guys should meet whether you do this book or not. You guys should know each other. And so we met for coffee. And I was telling her about the book and how I had sections of it written already. I had, you know, this idea in my head, but I couldn't figure out how to structure it. And she said, okay, you're never going to write a book until you write a bad first draft. And after you write that bad first draft, you just hand it over to me. And so with that support and sort of somebody saying, hey, this is what you do, here are the steps, and then you can just hand it off to me, which it was so great because I didn't know how to structure it so that people would benefit from hearing my struggles, my story, and then also use it in a way that would take them to the next level of evolving into their best creative life. And it's called Craft a Life You Love, infusing creativity, fun, and intention into your everyday. And after I was able to work with the editor, then I hired a book cover designer, and I hired a layout designer, an interior layout designer. I basically just took all those pieces and uploaded it to CreateSpace and hit launch. It was really nerve wracking. I had to figure out, you know, all these ins and outs of doing it. But I have to tell you, if you don't take those chances, then you have no idea what will happen from it, right? Because my my goal was to make back the money that I had invested in the people who I had paid, which was the editor, the book cover designer, and the interior layout designer. And to touch a few people's lives. And if I had done that, then I would have considered it a success. But even if I didn't make back that money, it would have been an investment into this experience of learning. And I would have definitely gotten so many lessons out of it. Well, three weeks after it launched on Amazon, it hit number one in two categories. And a week later, I got an email from a publisher saying, hey, we'd like to publish your book. And I didn't know that was possible. So I called my friend who's an author. She writes uh, novels. And she connected me with this agent friend of her agent. And we got on the phone. And basically, she became my agent that day. And so she took my book. She shopped it around. It ended up that three publishers were bidding in it for it in an auction. And she ran the auction and everything. And at the end of the day, I chose Abrams. And I love that she was like, you don't even have to choose the person who offers you the most money. You can choose whoever you want. And Abrams is somebody who I've looked up to and their books are amazing and beautiful. And it just seemed like the perfect fit. And so they let me have the self-published version 
through July of that year, which was very generous of them because they could have easily said, you have to take it down now while we work on your new book. But they let me have it up there. And I continued to, you know, pass along the message of Craft a Life You Love. And then we launched the book April of 2018. And I had the launch party at Pinterest headquarters in San Francisco. And I think that once you set your mind to doing something, you can make amazing things happen. And this is bigger than my wildest dreams, you know? And so when people ask me about a second book, I'm like, well, you know what? I kind of overachieved on my first one, <laughs> even though somebody else might say, oh, well, I my goal is to make the bestsellers list. If it's not on the bestsellers list, then it's a failure. I don't have that goal. You know, it's like that Amy Poehler quote, good for her, not for me. Mm-hmm. You have to be clear on what your goals and desires are. I'm not one of those people who will talk about something for so long and not take action on it. I just am not, I can't operate from that place because I have too many ideas that I want to make happen. And a mentor told me a long time ago, it's not how many ideas you have, it's how many you make happen. Oh, that's good. It's so good. Yeah, and it's I like so that. true. No, yeah, that's amazing. And like in your book story, I was just like, when you were telling me that at dinner, I was just like, what? Like, I, A, I didn't even know that could happen. But like, you know, B, now that I have a copy of your book in my hot little hands, I'm like, I can see why it did happen. Like, it's Thank a, you. Yeah, no, it's an awesome book. I love books like that, that are, you know, there's there's full of great information. There's pretty things that you, you know, quotes to read and there's little places to fill things out. It's like my favorite kind of book. Yeah. I think that I love when people give me feedback on it too, and they say they had to read the book all the way through first, and then they got a separate notebook to actually do the exercises and the practices. But I think you should just write in the damn book. Like I really want to encourage people to write in the book because uh, wh- whatever, Miss, I don't want to <laughs> scratch it out in my planner. See, I'm like, and then I'm going to write something, and it's going to be really ugly, and I'm not going to like the way I wrote it, and then I'm going to have to get an all new book. <laughs> yeah, but see, I don't go through that anymore with my planner. It's very ebb and flow. I mean, I do scratch things out. I don't use whiteout, but I do cover things up and I do make mistakes. And I think that's the beauty of making things is that you learn so much from your mistakes. I'm looking through my planner now and every week I make a mistake. Every week there's something in there that I don't like, but that's not what it's about. It's about the process and enjoying the process. It's true. It's true. And I'm sure you touch on that in the book that it's all about the process and not making it perfect. It's true. (laughs) You got (laughs) to let go. There's no such thing as perfectionism. You know, it's progress over perfection. Exactly. Okay. So the next quick fire round, which again, is probably not going to be all that quick, but you can make it as quick as you want. Um, In the first episode of your new podcast, I noticed you and Kathy kind of made mention that you were at a dinner in Hawaii. And so, which kind of brought the question up for me, are you in like, you know, I hear a lot of stuff about like mastermind groups or mentor groups. Like, are you in any of those or what are your thoughts on those kinds of groups? So I'm in a peer-led mastermind and it's one of the best things I've done for myself ever. (laughs) It's something that I had heard about from my friend Alicia of Lish Creative. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how to get into one and I didn't know how to cultivate one or who to even turn to, but it sort of happened organically. When I was working on an event with my friend Heidi Stevens, it was called Crafting Your Envision, uh, sorry, Crafting Your Vision and Intention Setting for 2019. And we had done this workshop. We invited a bunch of people from our networks and my friend Kathy Heller came and we got to talking after the event and we were like, wait a second, we should all get together and we should do, we should create this mastermind. So we each invited people and there's six of us now. Emily McDowell is part of it. My friend Kara Lise is part of it. Kelsey Murphy. And it's just this wonderful, beautiful thing. And we just did our first retreat in Ojai. And I think that if you can get together with a group of like-minded individuals who are in different industries, you can learn so much from each other. And we structure it in a certain way where we meet once a month and everybody has to agree on the date. And that was the commitment. We committed to six months, once a month. And I think all in all, there's only been one or two times that one person wasn't able to be there. 
And it was something that, you know, obviously just happens because of life. But we as a group talk offline in between meetings, and it's just such a powerful thing. And I think that I gained a lot of clarity to start this podcast through that mastermind. So yes, I highly recommend a peer-led mastermind or, you know, there's some some talk about maybe I'm going to lead a retreat either in Ojai or we're going to do it in Hawaii. And there's some talk about doing something in Bali next year. So I'm working on these bigger things that hopefully will come to fruition. But I think that everybody here can benefit from talking to each other. Even if you're in different businesses, uh, you can learn so much from one another. I like it. Yes. Keep me posted on those retreats. I'm, I am in. I want to go to that. That sounds awesome. Um, yeah. And you know, the funny thing is too, is like, I have found, and you'll probably start to see this, the more podcasting sessions I do, they're like little mini mentor sessions or little mastermind question, you know, or mastermind sessions. Cause you can ask everybody all these like hot burning questions about their business or, you know what I mean? You kind of get that synergy for those hour-long interviews, and they're so great. Totally. I love it. Yeah, mentoring sessions. I mean, that's how I feel when I'm listening to podcasts, is that I feel like they're right there with me telling me. It's almost like a coaching call, mm-hmm. you know? No, it totally is. That's how I felt this morning, like, listening to your interview with Kathy Heller. I was like, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, like, I didn't even have to pay for this. This is a great right. coaching call. <laughs> Totally. I'm so glad you found value in that. And I love that you're doing this and you're talking to such amazing creative people. And your format is so great because you're so easy to talk to. I mean, literally, I felt like I knew you and I felt like we were friends anyway, right after our panel. But it solidified when we went to dinner and you're just so real and so fully you that you would invite other people to fully embrace themselves too. Oh, you stop it. <laughs> it's yeah. true. It's so true. Sp- so speaking of dinner, my last question that I ask everybody is, because when you came, I had to look all over Helen back to find white queso in Austin. But if I came to see you, where would you and I go for queso in L.A.? See, that's the thing is we don't have white queso. And so <laughs> apparently we that- don't really either. Yeah, you guys don't either. Not the kind that's <laughs> in Atlanta at Ella's Teca and all those places like that. But so I know it sounds cheesy, but I would but probably literally just have you to my house because I have found the best queso that comes in a jar. And it's called Siete. And it's their cashew queso. So they have a white one and an orange or yellow one, whatever color you want to call it. (laughs) And it's cashew queso. So it's not even real cheese, but it's so delicious. Yum. Yeah, something really gross that I don't tell a lot of people. Um, I used to ask my mom for nachos for breakfast, and she used to give it to me. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, is that so really disgusting. any like less healthy than like a toaster strudel? It's not, truthfully. <laughs> I mean, they're right on par. And I would totally eat nachos for breakfast, even though I shouldn't. <laughs> you know, it's protein. But cashew queso, I'm going to try that. Yeah, I have, you are the second person I've interviewed that has mentioned cashew queso. So it's now, good. color yeah. me intrigued. Siete is the brand, and it's oh. a family-owned company, and they're amazing. So yes, it's not a plug for them, but I, you can get their stuff at Whole Foods, and you should support them because it's delicious. Well, okay. I'm in. So next time I am crafting a life I love, and I'm using all your fun little products, I will eat me some cashew queso. Love it. Thank you so much for coming on, Amy. I've had such a great chat. Thanks for having me. And of course. Are you an Amy Tangerine fangirl now too? Pop right over to iTunes and subscribe to Amy's podcast, Craft a Life You Love, so you can hear that episode with Kathy Heller we were talking about. Also, be sure to follow her on all the places to keep up with her endless, colorful, and inspiring adventures. Guys, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to go back into the archives and check out all the other episodes with more amazing ladies and gentlemen who are every bit as skilled in the business world as they are creative, like author and illustrator Ann Shen, or say Mexico City-based watercolor artist Anna Victoria Calderon. 
Just like Amy shared her inspiring story with you, you know what would be super awesome? If you shared her super inspiring story with a friend. Because, you know, as a Care Bear say, sharing is caring. So, you know, take a screenshot of this podcast and share it in your Instagram stories. Maybe text the link to your favorite paper crafter or send an email to an inspiring, creative entrepreneur that you know. Thank you again to today's guest, Amy Tan, for hanging out, to my producer, Mariah Gossett, and the music man, Chris Beck, and, of course, for you being here and listening. This is a Creative Queso podcast. My name is Jennifer Perkins. I'll be here same time, same place next week, but don't forget, we can hang out all week long on Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, Facebook, you know, all the places. You can find me at Creative Queso, and don't forget to always check in at creativequeso.com where I have a whole other interview series called Taco About It Tuesday, where you can find even more info about the business of being creative and the creativity behind running a business.